Hello, welcome to the Skies and Currents podcast. Today is Monday, February 26th, and I'm here with Christina, and we're going to talk about the week ahead. Hello, Christina. Hi, Tess. How are you? I'm okay. I'm getting better. It's, I still, I'm not over the cold entirely, but it's a lot better than it was, which I will take. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are I you feeling? You. I had like a weird, I feel okay. so much better than yesterday. I was telling Tess yesterday that I was really not feeling well on Sunday. And I was super worried because I thought it was mm-hmm. maybe a resurgence of whatever virus I had like two weeks ago. But I think it was maybe just like a, a stomach, like a quick stomach bug or something like that. Because I feel, thank yeah, God, I'm really much glad. better today <laughs> because I feel like I'm looking at... <laughs> I'm looking at some busy weeks ahead, so I was like, I do not want to be yeah, sick right now. Yeah, this has been, February has been yeah. perpetual sickness in my family and for many of my yeah. friends and acquaintances, just we almost a block of just being sick. Yeah. I guess that's not really uncommon for the dead of winter, Um but yeah, I was thinking about poor Jeffrey in his sixth house getting hit by Pluto. It's like <sighs> the house of just pains yeah. and asses. <laughs> As my astrology teacher used to say, the very uh, official designation of the sixth house. The sixth house, the house of pains <laughs> and the asses. <laughs> it's very uplifting to all those sixth house stellium people. Um <laughs> don't describe it that way (laughs) but yeah um well hopefully we're Mm -hmm. all on the mend and march will bring better health at least i feel like i feel like march is will have like a dramatic shift around the 20th and 21st but up until then my hope is that it's kind of relatively smooth and productive mm-hmm. for folks um but we'll see <laughs> uh yeah so anyway um the biggest news of this week is something that we did discuss quite a bit last week which is the um saturn sun mm-hmm. conjunction in pisces that's happening on wednesday the 28th um And that conjunction is really significant because it marks the beginning of a new Saturn cycle. Um, So you can kind of imagine Saturn in this phase of sort of, uh, he's, he is combust Mm -hmm. the sun. Uh, So that means whenever a planet gets too close to the sun, um, he, they go invisible underneath the sun's rays. Um, So it's kind of a period of lower energy, um, wrapping some things up and kind of like looking ahead to what is new. Um, now, as that pertains to Saturn, that's going to be like micro shifts, probably more than like a big renewal because Saturn's uh, Saturn moves so slowly that we tend not to make like big dramatic mm-hmm. jumps in our Saturn work. We tend to have to like shift it um more subtly more slowly it's like a a slow moving progress so whatever saturn has been working on um in the throughout his first year of his transit through pisces he's definitely gonna 
be continuing to work on. Um, but this week is a period of renewal and sort of like, like we described last week, going into the heart of the sun and sort of meeting with the solar intelligence, or you could imagine that as, you know, big God and getting reoriented. So getting all those plans shifted around. So um, Mercury is also in the mix on Wednesday. Mercury is going to be hanging out with um, Saturn. And it's probably going to be a somber week, but like a significant week of, of reorienting our sense of responsibility, reorienting our Saturn work. So a big shift in uh, potentially the way we're approaching the Aquarius and Capricorn part of our charts. Um, and that shift is going to be like sort of filtered through Pisces. Um, so filtered through whatever Pisces represents in our chart. Um, so I thought today we could actually kind of like dive deeply into the significations mm -hmm. of Saturn and everything Saturn represents, um, maybe sort of like as kicking off like a series of, of a deep dive into all of the planets and um, their significations and sort of how they're personified through myth and what some of the myths can tell us. Um, so yeah, does that sound yeah. like a good plan? <laughs> I feel um, I, I, I'm like underprepared for this except for my deep love of Saturn. So a lot of my feedback might just be like, but he's great. <laughs> in response to the cultural <laughs> biases <laughs> that Saturn carries. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. You have so much, you actually like have so much insight on Saturn and what Saturn means and rules. And I feel like you don't need to be overprepared. You just need to bring your natural orientation. Well, and I have, um, but yeah, so that's what, and I that's have like, a strong, Saturn, I think, and so does Jeffrey. So we're both very like Saturnian people sitting here in our very old house, surrounded by very old things. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. You guys are both extremely comfortable with Saturn, like much more comfortable than most people. Um, but yeah, so that's that's like my main plan for the episode. But before we do that, I just wanted to talk about one like current events thing, because I feel like we've been talking ad nauseum about Mars and Pluto in Aquarius. And there's just one current events thing that really grabbed my eye. Let's call it an astrology good moment, um, which is not actually good, but very much in alignment with this significations but oh my god the headlines about russia putting uh nukes mm -hmm. in space like i literally could not think of a more um almost like cartoonish alignment of this uh mars Pluto co-presence in Aquarius and this announcement phase because it's like it's so big and so dramatic we almost it's like we don't even know necessarily how to feel about it or if it's real but the headlines 
just grabbed me. Um, like I, I couldn't, I, I just almost like it was comical to the point of like, I couldn't believe how on point it was for Mars and um, Pluto to be together in Aquarius because Aquarius and um, Pluto always have um, a strong relationship to weapons mm-hmm. system development. Um, Pluto specifically has a strong relationship with the development of nuclear weapons and nuclear power. Um, and the combination of those two things together underneath the umbrella of this like strong Plutonian figure that is Putin was like, I was like, okay, this is, this is almost like we're being pranked, <laughs> you know, astrology pranked. It's, I was like, this is, this is wild. Well, and, and in the air too, right? Like in Aquarius is up in space. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. And then the futuristic element, exactly. And, and, the, it, and the idea that it would like impact us. satellites, which is also not the earth. I mean, it would affect the earth, but not directly. It's, right. you know, something that affects space and things that move through space. <laughs> Yeah, like literally our ability to communicate, Aquarius, our ability to send signals, Aquarius, like the exactly what you're saying, like the 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 movement of communication across mm-hmm. air waves. That's it it was so wild. I was like, I was like, this is just it's such like a immensely um astrology good or like perfect representation of this transit. Also in the sense that it's like Pluto announcing Mm. himself like normally all of this you know um Pluto is typically a a planet that operates like in secret right um and in hidden places but we were in this like window of Pluto making himself known so there being this kind of like intelligence report so intelligence normally operates in secret and then they're bringing this like report to the public an announcement of the big threat of pluto's like secret work you know um and it was really interesting because it was like it tied in so many significations from the weapons systems technology the futurism of it being in space um the the aspect of communication on the airwaves um the satellites but then also it kind of pointed to the way sometimes these outer planet transits operate in the current events where that's like there'll be this plutonian or outer planet figure it could it could happen for neptune it could happen for uranus but in this case pluto and it's like we have putin basically embodying Pluto, like playing the role of Pluto for the whole world, right? And so I was like, okay, well, Putin's chart has got to have Pluto on an angle. And so I looked at it, and of course, he has Pluto conjoined to his midheaven, which is the most public point in respect mm. to your career. Um and it was interesting to me that he actually doesn't have any other planets in his 10th house. Oh, just Pluto. And right. And so I was like, oh, wow. So it's like unfiltered right. Plutonian vibes. 
And the rest of or he has a huge stellium of planets in the 12th house. So operating secretly, having a fear of enemies, um, self undoing. So the 12th house is like um, secrecy, hidden things, right? With Pluto up there in the 10th house, just like generating like just pure Plutonian energy in like everything that he puts into the world. It's like rule through fear, um, rule through dominance, like um, forcing transformation through violence or trying to force transformation through violence. And it was fascinating how like, putting a nuke in space hit all these themes that we were, we just discussed, but then also is pushing forward the other story, which is all about boundaries and um, borders, right? Because Pluto or Pluto, <laughs> Putin is currently trying to you know take over Ukraine and then push into, as a strategist suggests, push into other areas of Eastern Europe, and so that is inherently a question of borders which is another like um big aquarian signification Mm -hmm. right so this fear of how this plutonian figure putin could shift the borders of europe and um shift the identifications of the people trying to like force europeans to eastern europeans to become a part of russia and and then it's you know, creating all this other chaos in NATO, which is also an Aquarian, like, um, like something Aquarius would rule, like Mm -hmm. treaties, organizations, alliances, all of those are Aquarian keywords. So, um, you know, nukes in space representing, you know, Putin and Pluto, a plutonian power grab which is triggering this big discussion of over alliances you know will the united states continue to uphold their security agreements with nato shifting alliances shifting borders like it's it's kind of wild i was like this is this is a pure like a pure plutonian story that is radiating and hitting like almost every single signification of Aquarius that it could possibly mm-hmm. touch. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, it, again, it's like being in this weird position of, of analyzing the news through this lens of astrology kind of makes you forces you to be thinking about very uncomfortable topics in a very analytical way which is also very aquarian but yeah it just struck me as like a really uh sort of perfect descriptor of the way pluto and aquarius is manifesting in the world mm-hmm. so it's it's hard to, it's it's a weird thing to um engage with the future or engage with um divination tools that describe that you know explain the present or describe the present when the present or the future is um full of very unpleasant things and things that are yeah very hard to relate to 
as an individual, you know, um, like, you know, it's really hard to know how to react other than through like, you know, the emotions of the fear and the sadness and the compassion and the, you know, the loss and everything. Um, And so, you know, we're not really built to kind of look at it from this bigger perspective (laughs) and to kind of emotionally hold all of it from the bigger perspective. But one of the things I like about doing that or from that perspective is also the reminder that um, at no point is it the end. Because a lot of times things that are really big feel like, oh, this is the end or this could be the end or this could be, you know, the end of all, all good things or, you know, something like that. But when you step back and you start looking at things from these much bigger patterns, you're like, no, this is a moment in history. You know, this isn't the end. This is, you know, many more, many, many, right. yeah, it's, it's a, cycle. a cycle. Many more things are to come. <laughs> so. Right. It's, yeah, I was thinking about like Pluto in general and how, you know, I mean, we we discovered Pluto in the ni- in 1930, right? So that's part of why it has such a strong association with mm-hmm. atomic weapons or mm-hmm. um, nuclear weapons because its discovery was corresponded with the development of them. And then, um, you know, even like plutonium was like named after mm-hmm. Pluto. Um, so we have it's it's just a strong thematic. Um, thermatic association and, and, and atomic weapons sort of represent or nuclear weapons represent our uh, sort of collective fear, right? Fear of being a, of, of someone having such aggressive power that they could transform a landscape in an instant, like turn a landscape, entire landscape into a hellscape. And that is sort of this like, highly condensed fear-based sort of symbol of mm-hmm. like a very literal physical um, material you know um way of approaching it whereas a lot of most of the way that we interact with pluto is not literal not physical not material right it's just it's an internal process right. and the idea of it becoming material is pretty horrifying right well, and it's interesting too, because if you think about like the the immense charge of fear that nuclear weapons, you know, represented and held during the Cold War, um, you know, we we didn't. It, it was so present, you know, in, in everybody's discourse and and present present within sort of the rationale of of political maneuvering and you know foreign affairs. And now we're at this place where we're like, it, it's not as present and it, we don't even know mm-hmm. what to think about it. You know, we're like, do like, is this still real? Like, is this still something we should be afraid of? Like, oh yeah. Like, oh my God, it is something we should be afraid of. But there's like a question of like, wait, you know, can Russia even like, what is the state of Russia's nuclear arms development program? Like, do, do there, do they still, you know, it's all these questions where it's like, we don't even really know how seriously to take it or how fearful we should mm-hmm. be of it. But then there's the question of like, okay, in Aquarius with all of our, potentially with NATO, for example, it's like, 
dissolving, yeah. right? Like if if NATO, if if the if the United States doesn't uphold its security agreements um, to NATO, um, you know, then there's like this dissolution that could happen in Europe, and then yeah. an arms race, right? Also Pluto mm-hmm. and Aquarius, like an arms race that could follow that with like all of these countries remilitarizing mm-hmm. or seeking their own weapons programs so it's it's just it's very interesting that pluto's shift into aquarius has brought all of these um questions to the forefront again especially as mars the planet of sort of military action and 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 um conflict touches pluto and is co-present with pluto it's like bringing them all all the questions to the forefront again and um, some some of that question is like, how much should we fear it? And looking back to how our fear has been manipulated in the past for, you know, mm-hmm. powerful entities to make power grabs, you know? And so, yeah, I just kind of couldn't believe it when I saw that headline. Not Not because I was particularly shocked or particularly afraid of it, but just because I was like, wow, yeah, this is like a it's like an intensely symbolic distillation mm-hmm. of this moment. Um, and I, I like looking at the collective um, to understand astrology better because um, in, in big groups, you'll see the symbology sort of like crystallize in like really clear ways. Um, and oftentimes, unfortunately, they're horrifying, but the symbol, the symbolism can tend to be much more clear when it's operating across like big groups of people than necessarily when it hits mm-hmm. our own life. Um, the symbology can be clear in our own life too, but sometimes it's not as obvious as when it when it strikes the collective. Well, and it's also we don't have like there, there just isn't enough time for us to have significant things happen to us as often as the planets are moving. <laughs> so very often the right. experience is internal, you know, it's like a feelings based experience right. or if there is an occurrence that happens um, where it's easy to filter it through our own perspective you know, so it's like even the things that do occur right. for us on this individual level, we're like experiencing them and describing them in this really specific way that is outside of the occurrence itself. Um, and so that can also be a hard way to right. like draw the the data, the astro- astrological data from that. Um, but when you have, but right, when you have, a, you know, billions of people involved and you have the message out yeah. to billions of people, um, it's going to have a quality of like um, an exaggeration, I guess, like an exaggeration of the occurrence. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's always like in astrology as individuals, we have different relationships to different planets and different patterns. So some planetary patterns are going to show up much more directly in our chart. And some of them are kind of going to skip over us to a certain extent. Or like you said, it's going to go internal. It's going to be based on feelings, but in the collective, there's always going to be some group of people, a nation, a leader, like some, 
some subset of the collective that has a strong association or a strong tie to every single um, cycle that happens, right? And it just so happens that this cycle is triggering this story, you know, the story of Putin, the story of, you know, Russia's relationship to Europe, the story of NATO, the story of nuclear weapons, like they're all getting uh, like sort of tapped by this transit to sort of like show up and move the story forward. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's the collective and current events is just a really interesting place to look because there almost always is going to be some some group out there or some person or some leader that's getting tapped harder than you are maybe necessarily in your own life. Um, that's why there's always like good quality example. Oh, astrology good examples. <laughs> astrology good meaning, you know, makes sense with the astrology even mm-hmm. if it's horrible. Well, I appreciate you bringing it up even though it's not the most fun thing to talk about because um, it is – it's a big conversation that I, I don't, I, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it. And I think it's largely because there isn't a whole lot to say, you know, there isn't a call to action that we can right. respond to. There isn't enough. that's you know, it, it's just a very kind of, there's not, there's nothing we can really do or change or, you know, so it becomes this very just kind of, uh, story that we're waiting i guess to see what how we end up being or not being connected to it um yeah yeah it's definitely um i mean i think that that's a key sort of signification of pluto is like how do we relate to power and how can we have any voice mm-hmm. within it like pluto can definitely make us feel isolated and voiceless within systems of mm-hmm. power, especially really complicated old systems of power that are related to things that happened, you know, maybe a hundred years ago, but then there's a deeper relationship with a deeper, longer history. And this is how we see like the cycles of karma playing out on like a collective scale. And we, and I think Pluto can really highlight how small we feel mm-hmm. um, within those cycles um but yeah and it just it always fascinates me how you know world leaders or prominent figures can just like take up the energy of an entire planet and kind of play that Mm -hmm. role you know and it's it's fascinating to me how like i was thinking about this earlier like pluto is sort of being embodied by Putin. Like he's sort of like making these big threats to shift the borders of Europe and shift the power dynamics and put nukes in space and all, you know, all of these big threats. But then you have Saturn as the ruler of, of, of Pluto currently sort of awash in Pisces. And, you know, in this way, we could almost look at like the United States, like not knowing where we're headed we're in the middle of election season we don't know who's going we don't know who our leader is going to be we don't know how they're going to respond to this we don't know mm-hmm. what's going to happen you know we have a republican candidate who's saying like who's just riding on a wave of of populism and saying well maybe we just will 
we won't we won't uphold our security agreements mm-hmm. to NATO at all because they haven't paid us. And then like, you know, all this populism, populist sentiment. And then, you know, on the left, we have, you know, politicians that are more committed to NATO as a concept, but, um, but at the same time, you know, are, are beholden to progressive, the progressive movement, which has its problems with, you know, the international order from a, from the perspective of criticizing American imperialism, which even though it's philosophically different, kind of has like a similar effect on our relationship to these old security um, sort of alignments. And so, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to then see, okay, the United States kind of playing the role of Saturn, right? Because what the United States does in relationships with NATO is going to have a huge impact on this whole story, but we don't know. Saturn's dis- dissolving in Pisces. There are no structures. There's like no particular, you know, obvious future manifestation of this. We just don't, we don't know. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't put together the Saturn in Pisces element to that, but that is very much how it feels like that Saturnian clarity <laughs> that's usually very present. Yeah. No, like- <laughs> gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's wild. It's, it always is interesting to me to explore these stories and it's hard because like you said, we have an an emotional orientation toward difficulty Mm -hmm. in the world and we, you know, which can skew our assessment of them for better or worse. But like, yeah, astrology kind of like will force you to look at current events in terms Mm -hmm. of archetypes. Um, Yeah. But anyway, that's just a small digression. But in terms of like shifting back to our stated goal of chatting about Saturn. (laughs) um, Yeah, I have a sort of other another astrology good um, story that I thought I might like start with with shifting to the um, Saturn reset, um, because I think it kind of like set the stage to what we're what we're about to face with the Saturn um, conjunction to the sun in Pisces. And um, it's much smaller and much more pleasant. So (laughs) Um, it has to do with my son, Avi. Um, And I'm in this phase with him right now where he, um, he's really loves school and is excited to tell me about everything that they do in school, um, which I know is like a, a sweet phase that I should treasure and do because I know it won't last. Um, but we were walking to school today and he asked me, mom, what day is it? And I was like, it's Monday. He's like, no, no, no. I know it's Monday, but what's like the number, the day number. And I was like, okay, it's February 26th. And he kind of made this like, like, yes, February 26th. I was like, what, what, what's, what's happening? He's like, well, on the 28th, which that means it's only two days away we get to do a special project at school. And so of course, like my astrology ears, like, you know, perked up and I was like the 28th, huh? That's the, that's the sun Saturn conjunction. That's a new Saturn cycle. I wonder what they're doing. And I was like, okay, well, what's the project? Um, And he was so, so excited. And he explained to me that the project was that they were learning about different kinds of disabilities 
and um, different kinds of disabilities that people, um, other students in the school or people in general um, live with. And um, and that's been like a theme, I guess, like the school counselor has been going around to all the classes to just, just teach people about um, – yeah, different disabilities and, and how that might affect different people's lives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so he said on, on Wednesday, which is the, the cycle reset, that they're going to do a project where they um, engage with disability through like sensory, um, like s- sensory input or sensory uh like special sensory projects where they're going to try to give the kids examples, like um, interactive examples of how, um, how a person with a specific disability might see or view the world through like tactile senses, through like visual senses, through um, touching things, through whatever. And I don't know the details of it, but the one thing that he told me was like how a dyslexic um, student might see text um, so like looking at text through mirrors or reverse or whatever. And I was like, that is got to be one of like, it's got, it's a perfect distillation of Saturn resetting his cycle in Pisces because Saturn represents limits, limitations. So, which might be one of like, you know, a very simple way to describe disability broadly, like a, lim- a physical, um, psychological or mental limitation that shifts your ability to, um, engage with the world or, or shifts like the way you engage with the world. Um, and then having kids try to immerse in the experience or the sensory experience or sensory data of, um, of that limitation, which would be Pisces. Um, so I was like, wow, that is, that's that's a very symbolically excellent uh, description of this of this transit in this day, and a much nicer a much nicer example of astrology and yeah. how it can look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was like, oh, I wonder how much longer he will like be excited to tell me everything does have school (laughs) he might you know it might last longer than than you think um it's different you know just the way that not everybody but the way that a lot of parenting is changed culturally um i think encourages more kind of openness and conversation than um than in the past so you know a lot of the expectations that we might imagine are going to happen we just we don't know we have no it's kind of an interesting thing being like this generation of parents because a lot of it is yeah unknown what how it's all gonna look yeah yeah I, we we planted maybe slightly mm-hmm. different seeds so yeah. we don't know how they're gonna it, it gonna demands us to be a lot kids. more like uh responsive i guess to be like oh okay that's what's happening yeah. He was so excited about this project. Like it was just, um, he just wanted to, you know, it, 
talk about it and just he wanted to describe what they're going to do but he mm-hmm. didn't actually know any details so he was right, like right. struggling he's, just, he's like i know it's but he was awesome. extremely it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're gonna learn so much um yeah it was really sweet and um and i was like yeah this is like the nicest saturnian you know high saturnian symbol i could imagine like <laughs> um but i thought that was really really sweet and also just like generally my kids love of school like i just don't i'm so happy that he likes it because he's in third grade and when i think of like all school before i think fourth grade is when it started to shift i was just like terrified of school i just thought it was like so scary and isolating he likes it he's like totally into it that is nice nice. fun But yeah, brief Avi digression. (laughs) Back to Saturn. I apologize. I think there's some kind of like tree trimming or something. Oh yeah, I can see it. It's just like a beeping that happens every, and I'm trying Uh, to mute myself, but it's so frequent that it's just, it's going to be some background noise today. To Saturn. That's okay. An auditory auditory limitation. limitation. I know. I think my goal in the next few weeks is to get all the dust out of my attic and just move podcasting up there. Oh, yeah, because I think it'll be a Exciting. little bit quieter from my family and the staircase squeaking noises, um, potentially also yeah. the street noise because it's a little bit higher, but we'll find out. <laughs> More troubleshooting. Right. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, well, Saturn, as we're about to learn, does rule dark mm. places and caves mm-hmm. and holes, which I feel like could be sort of mm-hmm. an attic. So you could like dedicate your attic oh, to, that's to a nice Saturn idea. And, and move the whole operation. <laughs> that's a really nice idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, so the qualities of Saturn. So we wanted to talk about this again. Like I've said a couple times, Saturn is resetting its cycle on Wednesday. Hence the long story about Avi's school exploring, you know, limitations um, and disability. So this cycle reset is happening in Pisces. We've discussed this. Um, It's going to impact everything that Saturn rules in your chart, which is going to be different for everybody. But... um, the broad significations that are not based on any one specific chart of Saturn rulership. Um, I kind of, I wrote down just as a list because I wanted to just read a list because sometimes I will just like revert to what my most commonly used words are. So I felt like if I, if I write a list of words and people will get like a broader, you know, idea of, of everything that Saturn represents. Um, so that list was, um, Isolation, distance, limitation, responsibility, seriousness, fear, the occult, evil, deep thought, memory, maturity, old age, decline, death, containment, frugality, structure, hard work, order, austerity, and duty. Um, And then two sort of really big terms that kind of contain a lot of these things are uh, karma and time. So all of these things are under the rulership of Saturn. And 
a lot of this comes from Saturn being the the farthest away planet um, that's visible from us. So, uh, you know, in the ancient world, like looking at the planets, everyone would have noted that Saturn is the farthest away. So this is where we get some of the like distance limitation stuff. And it's like the outer reaches of our solar system, at least from the visible eye. So as, as far as you can get, it's the limit. It's the boundary. Um, so, yeah. Tess, you were Well, I'm already in. not entirely pleased with the cultural uh, judgment <laughs> <laughs> and strong biases <laughs> that we have against Saturnian qualities. Against Saturn? Well, because... <laughs> It's, it's, you know, everything has, um, like, there's, like, qualities are kind of all-encompassing, you know what I mean? So it's like you get a spectrum of the same quality with everything. Um, so it's like, yeah, Saturn could be evil, but it could also be incredible commitment to righteousness, you know, like a kind of cutting and severing. Right. <laughs> all things that are evil away from righteousness um to get there and um it's also you know truth and it's also making things real in the world and it's also um a kind of like the the touchdown point between um uh like imagination or experience or ideas or emotions and like hard reality so it's it's like this quality of right. you know it's like all those hard things you know it, and, I, and I, I don't mean hard is difficult i mean hard is like literally materially hard yeah um all those things are also it's just it's just a really funny it just really speaks to the culture that we hate that so much <laughs> that we are just so <laughs> incredibly interested in um, kind of freedom and formlessness and um, living in a state of kind of like dream or idea or ideals or um, communication rather than doing you know and and i think that it's, right. i think it's been that way for a long time i don't think this is modern history i'm like this is like this is like three thousand yeah. years of this <laughs> i was gonna say to be fair <laughs> to be fair i think that these significations have been belonged to saturn yeah, yeah, for yeah. a very long time and yeah. across many cultures but the thing that is that i think that you're touching on that's really important to point out right is that um all of the planets will generate Rep like rulership over a wide spectrum of 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 significations, right? Um, and some of those significations will always be mm -hmm. bad, yeah. right? Or like the sort of the the lower impulse version of mm -hmm. the the planetary uh, spectrum, and then maybe the higher impulse version of the planetary spectrum. So even though Saturn, for example, is associated with the occult and evil and partial of that partially that's partially from i think we'll get into later but which is like saturn's role of like uh veiling mm -hmm. the light um 
and this is like baked into some of the some of these origin myths that we'll talk about with Saturn. Um, but Saturn also represents like um, places of isolation, right? So he represents mm. like monks and people doing austerities and people doing spiritual work. So um, it's like it can be isolation and um, a quality of like veiled of, of darkness because we are like separated out doing you know spiritual work or could be because we're separated out from our light and we're like engaging in like evil or occult magic that is dark or or whatever but um you know in the same way that you know our association it could it, it, a lot of it i think could be described like by our association with death right like we fear death we tend mm-hmm. to not like death right culturally but death can also represent you know progress if we're dying to the things that are mm-hmm. holding us back you know um if we're, we're talking about the little deaths which you talk about a lot so i know, know I'm, I'm on board <laughs> but yes they're- i'm like yes yes death and isolation <laughs> very good <laughs> um so that's those are the that's just the things that saturn like broadly mm-hmm. represents right but then the, saturn has like these very specific qualities in um in most astrological systems um and those qualities are more just like elemental um and you know related to color and related to odor and some of those qualities are like um cold dry brittle um saturn uh is considered to be slow moving so there's like a temporal quality of slowness um austerity harshness um dark color so black lead and gray uh dark green um oddly um yellow and black mixed together which i don't actually know how to make sense of that Um, it's gonna be like a grayish green associated with yeah um an association with astringent flavors unpleasant odors <laughs> i think decay and rot yeah but it's also um, med- it's also medicine though, then- christina it's also medicine <laughs> <I know. laughs> right right no i was thinking about that i was like i bet you like a ferment yeah no but you but know also like fermented a, foods yeah, that are so good for you i mean a lot of those are in fermented foods but also in um medicinal herbs right very Saturnian, yeah. Totally, right. Um, and then the places he rules are deserts, dark places, caves, holes, mountains, graveyards, ruins, which I thought was interesting and makes sense, but I wouldn't have thought about that. Um, so, you know, places of the past, I guess. Um, coal mines, wells, um, <laughs> dirty or bad smelling places. <laughs> Um, and then the professions that he rules. Um, so if you have like a Saturnian work life, there's a whole list of professions that that falls under. So people, anyone who works with the earth, so, um, building or sort of like pastoral, um, jobs like, uh, 
farming and to a certain extent, um, like working with livestock, um, monks and ascetics, which I had mentioned earlier, um, any like low status menial labor, Saturn rules, um, beggars, death workers, but also interestingly, administrators and government workers. So I thought this was a really interesting distinction when I was looking at it, where I was like, um, politicians, for example, would be ruled by mm-hmm. Jupiter, but the actual like collective of people who do the administration in the government, who run the government, that actually do the work to hold uphold the structure, mm-hmm. Saturn. That's all Saturn. Um, so yeah, those are those are kind of like the the qualities the classical qualities of Saturn and the things that Saturn rules. Um, so again, cultural bias, as you were saying. Well, it's like, well, <laughs> like not well but it's like you're saying, things. like every planet has, um, you know, the spectrum of qualities where it's going to have these hard significations and then these better significations. And for some planets, the personal experience of those is going to be more desirable. <laughs> in a lot of cases than right. some of the other ones. And so then we tend to focus in on the the most extreme versions of those qualities that we experience. So and in Saturn it can tend to be the undesirable ones. Right. Yeah, well it's interesting because I was um I was thinking about my own my own dad in this, for example. Um so he has like a, a very Saturnian um job he's a contractor like he builds how like literally frames homes and has since he was like eight years old which sounds horrible but actually probably was horrible but he his whole family has done it so he's like just been sort of uh joined into the Mm -hmm. family business when he was very young um but yeah he just learned the trade um you know by working with his dad Saturn. Um, so, but yeah, and he has, um, like a Saturn Mars sun conjunction in his chart Mm. in Aquarius. And so this is a very, very Saturnian person. Um, but he's not an unpleasant Mm -hmm. person. He's like a very lovely person, but what Saturn, the crystallized qualities of Saturn sort of being that close to his son and and having so much rulership over his life and purpose it's like he's extremely good at managing mm-hmm. difficulty doing difficult things that other people would shy away from and he's literally you know throughout his whole life has created like hard lasting mm-hmm. structures for people to live in and reside in and so this is the way in which, you know, Saturn's qualities can be like harsh. Um, and certainly he's had to deal with like a lot of harshness in his life, but they can sort of condense into um, into this hard um, or uh, into solidity, mm-hmm. like into someone who is like very good at dealing with reality and, and, and helping create real mm-hmm. things for other people to be supported by. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think he's like a really good example of a Saturnian 
uh, a Saturnian birth chart that is uh, skewed in a very positive mm-hmm. direction in life. It's, um, it's, I feel, I mean, you'll know this better than me because you actually work with charts, but I feel like it can actually be more advantageous to have a very strong Saturn in your chart that you are essentially forced to deal with and forced to make work because you have to Mm -hmm. learn it rather than having um, Saturn in a place that just kind of pings off of a really, really specific part of your life because then it can really just make this one thing kind of like mysterious and weird and hard to know how to approach because it's so dramatically different than the way you do everything else in your life. It just, it's a, it's like demands a very different kind of perspective and skill set than you otherwise are being supported in. Um, And not to say that I'm, (laughs) I always feel like I I never want to justify suffering, you know, because a lot of people with very strong Saturns have, yeah. You know, a lot of suffering early on in yeah. childhood but it, it does seem like kind of in the course of like looking at someone's day-to-day life um harder when saturn is more specific um and potentially more advantageous when it's kind of more in your personality or more built into your personality yeah i think you're exactly right about that and i see that a lot where um People who have, you know, Saturn on an angle or Saturn configured to their sun or Saturn, um, you know, with their moon tend to be um, more oriented toward sort of steadfast, slow progress that's like pragmatic and works toward um, sort of steady resolution and it tend to be resilient and difficult, like good at dealing with difficult matters and difficulty and difficult issues. Um, whereas interestingly, people who have really strong benefics sometimes, um, like, you know, exalted Jupiter, exalted Venus, like, um, and a lot of influence from the benefics, um, they tend to, oftentimes have a lot harder Saturn transits, like the Saturn sort of return and really like smack them in the face, right? Because it's like, if you're used to things coming relatively easily and blessings flowing in, that's a lot of times what exalted planets can do is like you can get access to blessings more easily um, than when you're asked to work really hard for something there's like a jarring quality oh no (laughs) like what (laughs) um but i think the other thing you said that was exactly right was like if it if saturn or the malefics exert too much rulership just on one Mm -hmm. area of life there can be a tendency to avoid that area or yeah you know like you're just pouring all of your how to approach it because it's not like anything else you're you've got on your plate so it could be like avoidance, but it also could just be like right. feeling totally lost, even if you have an inclination to, yeah. to start to deal with it. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, um, th- that's kind of like the basics of the qualities of Saturn, or like the laundry list. Right. Um, but if you kind of 
get into some of the like mythological stories, you can kind of see some of the um, the path toward working with Saturn and the path toward like what you can kind of get out of working with Saturn. Um, and I thought there was, so there was two Vedic stories, which even though I don't practice Vedic astrology, I sort of subscribe to um, their view of the planetary energies. And, and uh, I think that sometimes they have like a richer way of describing the planets and a richer way of conceptualizing mm-hmm. their role, you know? And so when I was diving into the stories, um, the two that sort of jumped out at me is like the origin myth or Vedic origin myth of Saturn and then Saturn's relationship to Ganesh. So Saturn, Saturn plays like a really, or Shani in the Vedic tradition, he's called Shani and he plays a really specific um, story or he plays a specific role in the story of Ganesh. He's one of the two major origin stories um, is related to Shani. So I thought we just would talk about both of those two um, stories. And the first one um, is the, the birth of Shani and that, so Shani or Saturn is the sun of the sun. So the sun of the solar um, deity basically. Um, and the story is that the solar, um, deity, uh, Surya was married to, uh, the daughter of the, of the divine architect. So Vishra Karman's, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but his daughter. And, um, she couldn't deal with the brightness of the sun. Like his radiance was overwhelming. Um, she didn't like being with him. <laughs> it, it was too much. The responsibility is too much. Like the uh, the eclipsing of of her with all of that like solar radiance was was very deeply unfulfilling for her. And she left and she went back to her father. And then she ends up like turning herself into a mare and hiding in um, hiding in this forest area forested area um but before she left she left her shadow chaya to um take care of the sun or to take care of surya to fulfill all of the wifely duties and um surya doesn't notice (laughs) that uh it's the shadow of his wife and not his actual wife um and they have several children together two of which are saturn and yama so um Saturn in this case is born of shadow and light. So he kind of represents um like all of the the obscuration of our internal light or the obscuration of our solar radiance or access to the light. And in Vedic astrology, um, at least from my 
I'm not an expert in Vedic astrology from, from my understanding, there's an element of Saturn, which is needing to move through all of the materiality that, um, or he points to all of the materiality that obscures the light and will create, um, highlight all of the limitations within the materiality that we have to, um, that will like frustrate us or, or cause, um, us to kind of, um, stumble or get frustrated or become upset with the realities of the material world and then cause us to kind of like look inward to find our solar radiance or our purpose or our our light um so there's this this quality that that saturn represents of being like the veil (laughs) like being the thing that prevents us from seeing the light but within that obscuration are all of the obstacles and frustrations and limitations that force us to go inward to find that the light. Um, so I'm not an expert on this myth, but that's sort of my broad understanding of it. Well, and then the 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 other part of being born of the shadow as well as the light is um being the um the ability to be in the light and work with the light Mm. um you know to, to basically carry that both the light and the ability to be in the light and the ability to work with the light right because Surya's wife leaves him or like flees that relationship she because yeah. it's too bright for yeah. her to stand. Right. So the implication is that, right. So the implication is that there's a quality to the sun that is um, untenable, like the interaction with it is limited. Um, but she finds a way to right. make it work with this limited part of herself. And then Saturn comes in as the birth point of the bright light and right. the functional limitation. <laughs> right. So it's like, uh, it, it, it veils us from what Saturn, it's like Saturn is like veils us from what we can't like stand yeah, or something like, a, like, or what we are not able to Right. It's like a yet. form of protection. It slows things down for us. So we're not <laughs> coping with all of it at the same right. time. It's, um, you know, it's this idea that we get to experience life and work with life because of the presence of time, right? If it was all arising all at once, we wouldn't actually be able to do anything with it. And then the other interesting thing about the story is um, his brother Yama is the Lord of Death and is considered Yamaraj, Mm -hmm. but also is considered Dharmaraj, so the Lord of Dharma. And then Saturn Mm -hmm. is considered the Lord of Karma, I believe. So there's his brother Dharma yes. and yeah, yeah. Saturn is karma. So it's Saturn is forced to um Dharma is kind of like the straight path. Um I mean it's not anymore, but the idea of it is that it should be. 
the straight <laughs> and direct, at some direct point, path. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that the karma is the stuff that we have to weed through and work through. So it's kind of, I mean, I like this interpretation of it because it's, he's representative of the obstacles, but he's also representative of the path through the obstacles. Um, right. Well, it's sort of like he, the veil that he represents, like that makes us capable of tolerating the light. Um, it's like he's going to lift the veil. He's going to show us the obstacles we have to move through in order to get to the solar mm-hmm. purpose. And those obstacles will be hard and full of limitations. But, but they'll also prepare it, but they'll also but then they'll also keyword. prepare us to hold the light yes. <laughs> and to be there with the light. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. And and, the, and he's going to lead us to build the lasting structures that can contain the light, that can um, you know, structure the light in our life. And whether you're imagining it as light in terms of like, you know enlightenment or or sort of like spiritual development or it could just be your purpose right your soul's radiance and you know like you said if it was all arising at once we couldn't handle it but another way of saying that would be if we if we got everything we wanted immediately upon wanting it we wouldn't be prepared to uh fully appreciate or fully fulfill um the demands of that desire right so saturn leads us through um all of the hurdles but it's like he holds he kind of like he holds the veil for us like we can't we can't see our own way through we just have to follow the like path that that he helps lead us down you know um and then this story about the birth of Ganesh is almost like the part two of this kind of uh, Shani uh, quality of, of leading us through the path of obstacles. Um, so it's related to how Ganesh gets his elephant head. And it's the second, um, there's different versions of this story. I'd never heard this one before, but I really like it. And um, the story is that uh, Shani or Saturn um, loves Shiva and is like a Shiva devotee. And so when Shiva and Parvati have um, their baby Ganesh, um, Saturn comes, Shani comes to pay his respects to Ganesh, but um, to the new baby, but he's like averting his eyes from the child. And Parvati is like, why, like, look upon my child. Like, you know, why, why are you averting your eyes? And he's like, it's out of respect because anything I set my gaze on, calamity comes to it. And I don't want calamity to come to your child. And, um, but Shiva and Parvi insist that he pays respects by looking upon the child. And when he does, his head, he's like, his head falls off. Um, and, you know, Shiva sends his um, attendants out to get the child a new head and they return with an elephant head and you know who does Ganesh become in the pantheon but like the great remover of obstacles um so it's like 
I, I mean, my interpretation of this, and again, not an expert at all by any means, but my interpretation of the symbols in this case would be like, you know, moving through the calamities <laughs> that Saturn can correspond with is then granted with the boon of being able to remove those obstacles or work through them. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts on that. I, I like that story too. I like it better than the original one where Shiva accidentally cuts off his yeah. We have a children's, like an illustrated version of this story. And, you know, because kids love Ganesha, like they all just love Ganesha. And so yeah. we read this to my daughter and she was just like, what? What? His dad cut off his head? What? Yeah. Um, well, for people who don't know, the other version, <laughs> for people who don't know, the other version of this story is that Shiva cuts off his right, head. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't recognize him um, because so he's, been, yeah, I like this. Stuff. I like this. There's, it seems like there's more to draw out of this story. Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think you're exactly right that it's like the blessing of loss, right? Like the blessing right. of the things that we let go of and the things that are extremely valuable to us. And particularly the head, which is very much where we have this identity. Like a lot of us feel like, this is where I live. This is me, right? It's in my brain. <laughs> my face yeah. is me. My head is me. Um, and so to kind of, for that to be the ultimate yeah. like loss and then to have that replaced and then to um, that be a source of power. Um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great transformation story. Um yeah, it's. I like the one of the reason I like the Vedic um, mythology, or I mean, it's wrong to call it mythology because it is, you know, religious texts um, as opposed to some of our earlier religious texts like Roman and Greek that have become mythology. So it becomes really hard to <laughs> separate that out. But I just want everyone to know that I 100% respect and believe these stories, and they're very important to me. Um, but it's, you know, believe them in terms of like their value and probably a lot of them, uh, probably a lot of them happened, probably a lot of them sort of happened. Um, and I value them a great deal, but the, the stories are so good because of the element of grace involved, um, which you miss out on in a lot of other stories about, um, the astrological figures. Um, especially from the Western Greek Roman perspective, it's there, there's not a lot of grace. Right. There is no big there. There are no like big gods in those stories. Like the big gods are like Zeus and Hera and Demeter and you know these very very wrathful <laughs> and human and imperfect characters yeah whereas you get kind of like the same correlating personalities in these other stories with the presence of shiva or with the presence of uh, vishnu or incarnation mm -hmm. it's like the grace is there <laughs> the grace is there to lead us through <laughs> um right yeah that's so true i feel like that is one of the biggest differences between when i you know you were saying there are no big gods in the Greek and Roman pantheon. And I, I guess my way of articulating that would be like, there are no enlightened gods. <laughs> like there are no, they're, they're just like 
sources of power in the human world that affect human activities, like in cultural activities. And they're, they're more just about the power that they represent and the specific specific pathways for which that power is going to come into Mm -hmm. human life. Whereas in the Vedic pantheon, like all of those power figures exist, but then sort of above them is one more layer of the Mahadevas or the enlightened, you know, um, like big gods. Um, and or maybe Mahadeva is not the, quite the right term, but like you have the, the forms of mm-hmm. the one or the forms of the ultimate, you know, creator the divine like Mm -hmm. source of everything and those would be shiva and vishnu and their avatars and like you're saying that they are sources of unending Mm -hmm. grace so they're not just they are powerful but power is not their primary signification Mm -hmm. it's grace and how they help us navigate our way back to our own soul and our and give us constant love and grace along the way. Mm-hmm. It's interesting in contrast to the Greek Roman version of the myth because mm-hmm. to me, and, and I don't know a lot about the culture. Um, when I think about the Greeks, I think about like war, theater, <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> like, you know, just these, yeah. but I don't know what the kind of, like, I don't know how they were orienting toward, you know, their spirituality um, their religion. and how they were processing it and how they were thinking about it. But the remnants that we have now um, have some very strong biases to them. <laughs> some like very, very strong yeah. preferential biases. And it's interesting because in this story, Kronos who Saturn is kind of like the enemy of the gods and also the father. And he is the father of all of the other planets. So the father of, um, not all of them, I I think, but yeah, Jupiter, Zeus, um, Aphrodite, Venus, Mars, like, I mean, and there's always different versions, but basically it's like, he is the father of the planets and them as the uh, gods in the story, their job is to defeat and bind Kronos. <laughs> Essentially, this is a force mm. that is in the way of doing what we want <laughs> and has to right. be, and, oh and, and, we, and they can't yeah. kill him. Like he's immortal, they can't kill him. And so what they do is simply trap him. Um, and it's a really, when you think about you know, the things that Zeus was doing (laughs) and that a lot of the other gods do in the stories, it's like, yeah, they were driven by, um, you know, power and lust and disregard and greed. And, um, And it's just a very, very fascinating take on the qualities that they all have and the stories that they're all playing out in this, in, in, in this specific way where you're like, they're yeah. like, well, we want to do a lot of things that are basically harmful to ourselves, our siblings, our devotees, uh, the world. And the first thing we have to do in order to be able to achieve that is to 
destroy the rule of Kronos. It's like to get rid of Kronos to the extent that we possibly can. Get rid of any and all limitations mm -hmm. to our will. Western well, civilization, Western everybody. Civilization. This is how, <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting too because it said, and I don't know what the golden age was or what it actually meant. I mean, the, it sounds very nice, so I'm just going to go with that assumption. But it said that Kronos ruled over the golden age. And that, you know, the gods mm. came in and ruled over the age that the Greeks and Romans were currently living in, which again had was a lot of war. Um. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's always... I remember really specifically that I was reading the Ramayana when I kind of had this realization. Like I, I think you and Jeffrey had been trying to explain it to me literally for years and I couldn't understand it at all. Um, but I was like, uh, yeah, I was reading the Ramayana, which is like one of the um, very popular um, Vaishnav Hindu epic stories um it's about rama and I, the kind of the structure of the vedic pantheon suddenly or i don't know if it's right to say the vedic pantheon but the structure of the the cosmology and, and the rulership of the gods really struck me in that story where suddenly i was like oh like <laughs> there is you know the grace gods, <laughs> the the big god, you know, that comes down, in this case, Rama, um, you know, incarnates to help us and help us keep on our dharmic path and help us, you know, keep the, the availability of a path to, back to righteousness or to our soul or to our true purpose, you know, and then that force sort of interacts with like a lower realm you know, sort of um, pantheon of deities that are more related to cultural ideas and containers of of power, and they kind of more like serve the culture or serve the society. And then, kind of like looking at um, looking at the Greek myth, the Greek pantheon that I had grown up more with and had a better understanding of. I was like, oh there are only those cultural mm -hmm. gods, <laughs> you know, like there's no, there's no higher one, you know, and um, they, they just play a very different role. They're more like reflections mm -hmm. of us and who we are. Um, and almost like creations of humans, right. To hold, to be like the representative force that holds different kinds of power mm -hmm. or something. No. I yeah. I will, and, and then even, you know, the, the kind of further, um, like the continuation of that is that these, that, you know, the, the Roman deities are the planets, right. They've got Mars, Venus, Jupiter, right. Mercury. Um, and so not only do they represent like the human um as to like reflect people but they're also describing like these different elements inside of ourselves that are all kind of working 
together and pushing and pulling together. And it's right. it's one of the I don't have like a strong preference of um uh, like astrological orientation, but it does make the application of Vedic astrology a little bit different because a lot of it is more focused. I mean, yeah. not, I know that you incorporate a lot of this into your work, but generally a lot of Western astrology is not very remedial, right. whereas a lot of Vedic astrology is extremely remedial right. because there's this path, there's a bigger path, I guess. Right. Yeah. And I don't, I'm definitely not an expert on Vedic astrology. And a lot of the feedback I get also from like um, clients and friends who are Indian or grew up in India and have been um, had like Indian Vedic astrology sort of as a big part of their life is that it's not necessarily like a lot of it is like very materially focused and like, you know, how to get things that you want out of life. Um, and I think that's how Western astrology pretty much is too. Like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking about ourselves. How can we, in, how can we optimize our interaction with the material world to sort of like get what we want out of it? That's like a big way of orienting toward astrology. But I do think that within Vedic astrology, there are streams of it that are, have a much a more specific articulation of how the planets can play different roles to help us uh, follow our spiritual path back to, you know, the big soul or into enlightenment or whatever. And um, I do think that can make um, some of the Vedic stories and some of the Vedic traditions uh really rich and useful to dive into and apply to our understanding of the planets in the West. Um, not that there's no Western astrologers that are interested in like a spiritual viewpoint. There absolutely is. I just feel very, you know, drawn to the Vedic myths. Um, and yeah, I mean, bringing it back to, to Saturn or Shani, he is sort of like, um, I think he does play the role of being the outer limit of sort of, uh, materiality, you know? So like if, if, um, you know, he's the, the, the visible, the last visible planet. So he's like the edge of the system. And if the sun is sort of like the light or the soul, <laughs> um, it's sort of like, Saturn points to the karma that is the hardest, stickiest, brutalist, like most um, physical or dense to move through. And so it's like, he's kind of, I, I do think as, as he kind of transits in the chart, he will point out um, some of the, you know, most persistent, hardest, most physicalized karmic obstacles that we have to mm -hmm. move through. And that could be, you know, because you're trying to get to a material goal. It could be because you're trying to get to, you know, career goal or any kind of goal. But it could also be, you know, applied to your spiritual practice in terms of the karma that you have to move through in different stages of the process of your spiritual mm -hmm. goal or orientation. No, I agree. 
Um, it's interesting. You'd mentioned this before too, um, before we started talking that um, a lot of Shani remediation has to do with the worship of Shiva and that in the story, Shani is a mm -hmm. devotee of Shiva. Um, and I yeah. think that that's important, um, I guess, in the very, very narrow field of the work that we do, <laughs> um, which right. is yeah. about trying to um, incorporate a spiritual practice with a form of God and incorporate that into an astrological remediation practice, because sometimes you can do austerities for the planets, right? Um, as a as a remediational right. measure, but then there are some planets where doing that comes with a pile of risks, um, right? Because the planet is only going to help you using the qualities that it inherently has. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> and so just so people, just real quick, so people know like remediation, the way we use that term is like basically to, to lighten right. the load of planetary right. obstacles or karma. Oh no, it's so, fine. So, um, so like Uranus, I think it would be another great example of maybe a planet that you don't want to turn right. your attention. Like even if you have a challenging you know, Uranian influence in your chart, you might not want to put a lot of yeah. your extra focus and energy on, you know, like you might not want to invite more of that energy into your life as a means of remediating it. <laughs> right. Because what Uranus is going to have like two moves. Uranus is going to like, you know, plug something into electric, shock it and like charge it up with a whole bunch of power. Or he's going right. to disrupt it's like it. It's going to explode right? or it's going to like don't... earthquake away. <laughs> it's just <laughs> lightning will strike it. Like yeah. it's just a very intense measure to try to fix something, I guess. It's like if the goal is to fix yeah. something, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. choose the planet that is, you know, going to break everything down first. Um, and Saturn is one of these other planets right. where... Um, you know, it's not, <laughs> if you're like, I just want to feel a little bit better about, like, I just want to, um, so what's something simple that you might want to do in your life that doesn't require like an entire transformation, anything like that. And then Saturn's going to come in and be like, well, here's all the reasons, here's all the ways that things are not perfect. Let's just break all those things down before yeah. we get to. And so it's just a much longer journey to addressing the really specific thing yeah. that you want to, um, which is where incorporating the grace is really, really helpful. So, um, right. Yeah. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's like, and I think about this all the time because planetary remediation or planetary magic or planetary, like doing these sort of magical practices to improve your relationship with a planet um, or improve the outcomes of a planetary transit, that's becoming really popular nowadays. And I don't know enough about those practices to really comment on them directly. Um, but I do know for sure that you can massively fuck them up like very easily. 
um, if they're not doing absolutely correctly. Um, and they can have like consequences that are <laughs> unintended. Um, so if you're trying to do like Saturn planetary magic, you very well may easily make your relationship or a Saturnian outcome worse um, if you make a mistake um, in that process. So, you know, our approach or my approach, and I think Swanee's approach has always been, you know, to work with the devas that have rulership over those planets or have a relationship to the planet. In this case, this is backed up in the Vedic tradition, like working asking for um, help with his, your Saturnian issues, um, it is easier to go through Shiva, right? Or more beneficial to go, I don't want to say easier, but like it could be massively more beneficial to go through a deity like Shiva because he is going to protect you in that process of trying to work through the planetary karma, you know, he's going to give, like Tess, uh, like Tess said, add grace to the process, um, protect you during the process, and also sort of direct you to the place where uh, you most need the work, you know, sometimes like our ideas of what we want are not like necessarily in alignment with like what would be maybe best for us. <laughs> um, so sometimes it's a longer road, um, but it's definitely mm-hmm. safer. And um, and it doesn't, if you're yeah. not um, oriented toward um, the Indic tradition, you can pray, you know, however you like to pray for help with this and with anything. Yeah. Um, but it is one of these situations where you do kind of want another force involved to direct what's going on um and the reason that the planetary work can be so uh impactful right both positively and potentially negatively is because you know they they have bodies and because they're all the, the qualities are all inside of us already so it's like we're engaging with a really kind of foundational part of ourselves um And so it's really, really easy to draw power out of that because all you're really doing is putting attention on yourself and the degree to which Mm -hmm. you have a positive relationship with that thing inside of you and you have the kind of focus inside of you and you've overcome all of your uh, tendencies towards self-destruction and feeling unworthy about yourself like these are all going to come into play (laughs) when you're doing this kind of work and so um it's it's another reason to outsource a little bit and to say um i'm looking for something bigger than myself something more knowledgeable than myself something more powerful than myself to help me with this part of myself rather than to say I am going to yeah. directly engage with this element of myself and its correspondence to reality. Yeah. And I have to do it perfectly or I could skew yeah. the whole thing further. Um, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And um, actually, like, one of the sort of simplest and um, safest ways to remediate or um 
try to to re- to remediate Saturn karma or try to have a better relationship overall with Saturn if you're not oriented toward prayer or oriented toward the divine um simply you know volunteering with any organization that supports um impoverished communities volunteering with any organization that supports the elderly um donating money to institutions that support um impoverished communities or the elderly uh feeding the poor feeding the homeless feeding crows um saturn's birds (laughs) saturn's bird army um all of these are sort of like slow, stable, safe ways of improving Saturn karma that don't involve magical practice. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a lot of folks that do planetary magic and more and more cropping up. Um, I'm sure some of them are good at what they do, uh, but it is a risky endeavor, um, especially if you're engaging with people who are not um extremely skilled and um i don't know knowledgeable mm-hmm. I don't, i'm not really sure what would qualify someone to be doing planetary magic it's just hard because it's you're but, working with um like karma is just like you know those spider webs that are inside of like little nooks and holes that are so dense that they just look entirely white, um, but they're made up of many, many little yeah. strands. Like, th- like that is what karma mm-hmm. is like, except that it's also in motion. And so it can be very, very, very challenging. I know, but it can be very challenging to try to like <laughs> do, like let's say this is your karma's all moving and you want your karma to do something else. You can imagine how challenging it's going to be to try to move all those little strands and how incredibly precise and knowledgeable and ideally able to see what you're doing. And um, it's, it's, it's just a very, very intricate process that you can, again, because it's something that's physical and a part of you, you can throw a lot of your attention at and you can make things happen. But, you know, the the idea that you're going to do that without damaging other parts of the web are, you know, it's just a very, very narrow shot that you have. Um, Except when you outsource to the divine and you just say, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. Please help me with this. Because... Yeah. Um, there's just a right, lot more. Right. I remember you you described magic once to me as like um like a force that you could shoot at the web that would make potentially make more space. Like uh like if you sort of you use the web analogy or the web um sort of visual right and you said like if you kind of uh magic could be a force that you shoot at the web that stretches it and in that period of stretch you gain access to the thing you want or you create space to achieve your goal but eventually the web will snap back and in snapping back will create all of these like additional tangles and problems Mm -hmm. that could 
that could, if done poorly, be bigger, worse obstacles and um, than the ones we were facing yeah. initially. And I don't know if I'm describing that accurately, but that's stuck in my mind really clearly in my conceptualization of magic, um, you know, forever after you gave me that analogy. Um, because in my internal practice, you know, I've kind of seen, you know, the same web-like image of karma, but from the perspective of the devas being like, you know, we can't always change your karma, but we can help you find mm -hmm. a path through mm -hmm. the web, you know? And I've always you know, use that image as kind of like, in my mind, the difference between trying to use your will or magic to force a path versus trying to use bhakti or relationship with God, because it's like, you have to surrender to what the divine um, sees and the options that they're going to present to you, which might not be the ones that you think you want. Um, but using your will or magic can oftentimes like create bigger problems than the one you set out yeah. to yeah <laughs> it's a huge it's a very strange I mean I guess not strange because we all it's been so common but I mean this is like a, another conversation but it is it, the conversation is about the ability as a human being to do magic um and and right. from my perspective it's very fortunate that we've lost a lot of that ability <laughs> Either because we don't have the force or we don't have yeah. the kind of group agreement or because there's not as much life force on the earth or we don't have the same kind of records of how to make it happen or because those records have been destroyed because it went right. so bad so many times that human beings were like done with any of this, you know. So there's a lot of reasons that we don't have access to it. Um, but as a human being, you have the ability to, to make things happen to kind of push things into the world, to use your yeah. will as a force to make things happen. And um, it's just incredibly, incredibly risky because um, we're more like the Greek gods, right? We're not driven by <laughs> the desires yeah. to, you know, move ourselves into the unknown. We are oftentimes moved into the desires to make ourselves more comfortable, to feel safer, to feel more powerful, to get, you know, the things that we think we want. And, yeah. and there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with having desires or pursuing desires. It's just, again, it's just such a narrow path to try to get them without right. accruing karma in all these other ways if you only try to do it through magic if you try to do it through um action in the world or through um offerings or through surrender or through um trying to change you know your own personal karma develop who you are as a person or heal certain patterns inside of you then you're just clearing away cobwebs Right. So everything in your life just becomes like oh, more and more and more open. And when you do that, you might discover that those little yeah. narrow desires that you thought you had are not actually what you wanted, because from this little narrow window, you could only see this one option. Um, and a lot of people are not 
wanting to move out of that place because it's you're like no i see it i see that one thing i'm going to do anything i want to get to, to that one thing um but it's a terrible yeah. it's just a terrible kind of mental trap that can also become a karmic trap <laughs> if you then push you know yeah. use will force or magic to try to do that um yeah yeah well and it I feel like there's also like a lot of semantics around magic. So, I mean, one thing I, I guess you could also conceptualize magic as like uh, maybe like black magic or white magic or something in the terms of like magic that is will foisted into the external world to make changes versus magic that is uh, foisted internally mm-hmm. to change yourself. Um, and I and I and have seen. I feel like maybe I have that's seen all- people now that identify as um, like Wiccan or witches talk about magic as these kind of personal transformative changes as well. So yeah, so the term is not very solidly used. Yeah, but yeah, so maybe if like you're someone who's like got a strong I don't know, Tessa, you can weigh in on this, but maybe if someone has like a strong sort of like attachment to magic as a concept and is part of their orientation toward the spiritual world, maybe it's like reorienting your relationship to magic to being focused only on you making internal Mm -hmm. changes that change your relationship to the world as opposed to trying to change the external world, which kind of like can really mess up yeah, that karmic web that we were well, this talking is, about this is something that jeffrey's been talking about he talks about it forever all the time um but this idea that um you change you 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 have everything inside of you already everything is inside of you so anything that you want from the world you can access through these internal pathways and that that is the only way to ever truly solidly change your experience of those things so even if you um and he uses the example of someone who wins the lottery but then immediately loses all the money through these various different means and it's like they were able to make that change in the world but because they hadn't made that corresponding change in themselves um they weren't able to hold it they weren't able to appreciate it they weren't able to use it um, or enjoy it and there's also the big possibility that it was actually detrimental to many of their other relationships and other trajectories in their life. Maybe they quit their job, maybe they quit a career, maybe it skewed their family dynamic or their friendship dynamics. Um, And so, yeah, it's this idea that when you make these external forceful things without having the corresponding change inside of you, there's going to be a discrepancy. And that discrepancy is almost going to be worse than the lack of whatever there was before right yeah yeah i mean this is why saturn is so important you got to do the inner work you got to refine the inner (laughs) (laughs) saturn leads us to the inner work (laughs) yeah yeah, the slow path is more solid and more effective in most cases, but I think in the West, maybe everywhere, I don't know, but we have a sense of urgency, like if we don't get everything right away, 
we're squandering our life or we won't be able to ever experience the things that we want to experience. But I feel like as an astrologer, I spend a lot of the time, a lot of my time just convincing my clients that life is longer than (laughs) they generally think of it as, you know, (laughs) like everything doesn't end at 40 or whatever, you know, nonsense. We're kind of like enculturated to Mm -hmm. believe or think about ourself and our path. But yeah, Saturn blesses Mm -hmm. the elderly, you know, Saturn blesses maturity, Saturn blesses commitment, Saturn blesses duty, persistence, hard work. Um, And, you know, and I think with Saturn, even though he can point out all the flaws in something, I do think he blesses kind of like persistence Mm -hmm. over perfection, you know? So one of the ways to kind of like work through Saturn obstacles is to just keep going. Absolutely. Yeah. Just continuing to show up and put in the effort. Um, I a hundred percent agree with that, that Saturn will bless the effort and then make the rest of the path clearer as you go. So it's like, even if there isn't, you know, even if you can't see the whole journey, as long as you just are willing to be like, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to keep working on it. Um, then it's like the path will unfold before, before you, um, and Saturn will make sure that it's the right one. (laughs) That's the other thing. Saturn will be like, this is the true path. This is the right path. Here it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we love Saturn is is basically (laughs) the moral of this entire episode. Yay. Yay, Saturn. <laughs> um, we don't we don't love him when he is like casting his gaze directly on us. We sad, <laughs> but um, yeah. But at the end of the day, yeah, we do love him. I had um. Do you remember this was years ago now? But I had a day where I had like a Saturn Rahu Mercury situation, and I bought like a really nice vacuum cleaner that I had been like it felt felt kind of bad about <laughs> spending that much money on a vacuum but I was like oh man I really want this vacuum cleaner and then I was like oh my gosh that's hilarious that's like Saturn and Rahu with my overthinking about it Mercury <laughs> yeah it's like at Rahu an endless desire to clean up like this it's like this like the, su- it's like the sucking the and the bad smell and the, yeah. Rahu is like the sucking quality yeah that's yeah. hilarious um yeah oh so it can always God. be the way yeah. that it can look in your life it can always be kind of just like uh not impactful as well <laughs> just kind of like just another day right yeah. Um, right. What well, I I think that's like relatively sort of it's a good solid I think discussion of Saturn. Obviously, we'll we'll endlessly you know refer to Saturn mm-hmm. throughout the podcast. And if you guys have questions about anything we said about Saturn or questions about your experience with Saturn or your natal Saturn or whatever, you should come to our meeting. Um, and ask or join the Substack mm-hmm. and post questions. Um, we're happy to answer them. Um, we actually have a meeting tomorrow that's open to oh, nice. the public, um, which is at, I think, five o'clock Pacific um, time. And that is 
um, sort of like our group meeting about the new Saturn cycle. And we'll be talking to some people who are doing like a specific Saturn sadhana, um, which isn't open anymore to join. But if you want to work with Saturn on your own life and your own chart, you could come and ask questions about things that might work for you. Um, but I think that this week uh, is going to be pretty dominated by the sun Saturn Mercury conjunction that's happening on Wednesday. And, you know, don't be surprised if it looks like somber, difficult limitations in the world. Um, frequently, that's what Sun Saturn conjunctions look like. Um, but it is, regardless of the general feeling, an opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity to shift your relationship to responsibility, to shift your relationship to your path, to shift. Um, you know, your approach to whatever structures you're building in your life. Um, it's going to be different for everybody's chart, but, um, you know, some places to look for inspiration for what that might be. Your natal Saturn placement, what Aquarius rules, what Capricorn rules, what, in this case, Pisces rules, you know, and um, we know that because this conjunction is happening in Pisces, but there is going to be an element of um, using sensory data to <laughs> proceed. You know, I'm thinking thinking back to um, you know Avi's, my son's like little project of you know experiencing uh, the limitations of disability. You know, I think that that is a really nice distilla distillation of how this new Saturn cycle occurring in Pisces is going to be like, okay, how can we bring the concepts of interconnection, interconnectedness of operating through sensory data of, of compassion of, um, you know, world building through mm -hmm. imagination to our mm -hmm. Saturn work. Um, and I don't know what the answer is for anybody else. Um, but you know, that's part of, that's part of what the Zodiac signs, uh, add to this whole conversation, right? Is the, the skew or the tools or the flavor that each sign is going to bring to the Saturnian process. I'm, I'm really looking forward so, to talking more about that tomorrow and getting into the specifics of it with everybody. Um, that's going to be a nice conversation yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it too so thank you for no, talking thank you with me. thank you for putting up Tess. with my very strong pro saturn biases <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i know that you're i i i pretty much like always believe yes, well, everything so. well don't do that but thank um. you <laughs> <laughs> um actually i feel like i also have a saturnian bias because i have saturn right. directly yeah. on my ascendant like conjoined yeah. my ascendant. so pretty damn saturnian in many ways mostly in that i like to go extremely fucking slowly <laughs> at everything I'm like the slowest person around well, i love i like that i like that uh, I really but like i've saturnian learned people though that's like i'm like yes yes saturnian crowd <laughs> Yeah. All right, Tesla. I love you very much. Thank you for talking with me. Um, we will be back next week as always. I think 
we're trying to settle into this like Monday, Tuesday release rhythm. That's where I'm at right now. Monday or Tuesday, we'll get it out to you as best we can. Um, join the Substack if you listen to this on iTunes uh, or not iTunes. God damn it. I always say that. I Apple Podcasts, whatever the fuck it's called. If you listen to it on Apple Podcasts, join the Substack because it's it yeah. can be free unless you want to support us. Um, but you can ask us questions. Um, you can get some of the extra content that we release and um, get access yeah. to discounts. Um, and if you readings. don't, if, another and, thing that would be really helpful is if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could give us a rating um, and a review, because I guess the, we will not show up in like a, under a general search without ratings. So if you don't mind taking a couple uh, minutes to put it out there, that would be really helpful for us. And we really appreciate everyone listening yeah thank you yeah that's we've been meaning to say that for many episodes and always forget to and um also we intend to get this onto spotify but i think saturn is like blocking me or something because every time i try to do it i can't get the email to go through it's like some sort of weird problem with spotify so um, we're working, <laughs> we're on, working on so we'll many there. things. And we're, um, again, we're just so thank you for coming with us on this journey of figuring this all out. Thank you. <laughs> yes, we love you guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Love you, week. Christina. Bye. Bye.